What is up everybody? Today I want to talk about the debate between Ben Shapiro and Shank Ogre. I know that's not his last name, but I can't pronounce his last name, so his new last name is Ogre. Anyways, Ben did a really good job. He wiped the floor with Shank, but there was a few key areas that I really think he missed and he could have touched on, um, but I really don't think he would have had time because, I mean, when you're talking about healthcare, it's a really complicated issue and try to explain exactly how healthcare works. Um, you really can't. So I'm going to kind of cover the things that he really couldn't, and uh, so I'm going to start by bringing up a clip and uh, following up on that. So, <laughs> um, but there are some things that the uh, government should do. They should do the military, cops, roads, bridges, and yes, education and health care. Uh, that's because, you know, it, conservatives seem a little confused about how health care works. Paul Ryan had a whole um, press conference about this. Ben uh, a little bit alluded to it there. They're like, oh my God, it turns out the healthy subsidize the sick. Yeah, that's insurance. That's how it works. It's like the people with, uh, that are not getting into accidents are subsidizing the accidents. Yes, that's car insurance. That's how insurance works. Okay, so first things first. Chang points out that the government should be involved in a few key areas. Police, military, roads, education, healthcare, etc. But isn't it weird that the government is bad at all these things, right? We have horrible roads, especially here in Michigan. We have the biggest military-industrial complex in the world. We can't even go a day without bombing another country, and Chank would probably agree on that. Our police can't go a day without shooting someone because they're, they're jumpy and afraid of everyone, and they're, they're unaccountable for their actions. We have some of the worst education in the world, and that's heavily regulated from the top down. And yet you want them to get involved in healthcare? You'd think that if you want the government to be involved in healthcare, they should probably figure out the other stuff that they're supposed to be doing first. Right? I mean, if you, right? you got to finish level one before you go to level two. And the next point is that Chank brings up, well, you're subsidizing other people. Of course, that's how insurance works. Problem is, that's a really infantile understanding of insurance. Um, here's the thing. I, I mean, I got my insurance license, so uh, I think I should have some input. I'm, who knows? Maybe I don't know what I'm talking about, I guess. So here's how insurance works. You're going to be assigned a risk category based off your age, your health, your gender, etc. All of these things are factored in. So the insurance companies can look and they can say, I know that a 24-year-old male with no health conditions is statistically likely to get these conditions in these situations. So they have mathematicians that are paid a lot of money to figure that all out. Now, it doesn't make any sense for an insurance company to only take one customer because even if the odds are in their favor, they're really just gambling because if I get sick, they go bankrupt. So the reason it's not gambling is because they take on a large pool of people and they spread the risk out between all of those people so that they can statistically analyze the amount of people are likely to get sick and they know exactly how much money they're going to make. That's why insurance is a really good business. They know exactly how much money they're going to make. It's all in the law of large numbers. Now, if you're healthier, you're going to pay less than someone who's sick because they're going to be in a different risk category. So it's not that you're subsidizing the other person, it's just that the risks are spread out between a bunch of people. Now the reason that we're subsidizing each other now is because the current healthcare system forces insurance companies to insure people that are already sick. Well that destroys the entire concept of risk pools because these people aren't just a risk, they're already costing the insurance company money. If I can go get insurance after already being diagnosed with cancer, I'm, an, I'm, I'm nothing but a loss to that company. I'm big red negative numbers. So they now have to raise the premiums for everyone else to subsidize that person. So that's why insurance right now functions as a subsidy because they have to insure people that are already sick. 
And it works the same with age. So if an older person gets insurance, they're going to pay more because they're going to be in a different risk category. But as of the Affordable Care Act, they can't do that anymore because they can't charge older people up to a certain percentage more than they can charge younger people. So this means to account for that, that risk differential, they have to raise the rates for everyone to kind of bring it to that same level. So what happens is some of those premiums are going to be pushed off to younger people. And I find it weird that Chang, who doesn't believe in subsidizing the rich, doesn't believe in redistributing wealth from the, the poor to the wealthy, is okay with taking broke millennials with, who are saddled with debt and forcing them to subsidize senior citizens who are already retired, they already have their house paid off, they have their car paid off, they have their social security, they have their pensions, they have Medicare. So yes, older people are on a fixed income, but they're still statistically the richest generation in American history, and you want poor people to subsidize them. Now one of the main reasons that insurance is so expensive is because Americans are fat, lazy slobs. And that's just the truth of it, because over two-thirds of Americans are overweight or obese, and uh, the leading cause of death in the United States is preventable chronic illnesses, so heart disease, diabetes, stroke, etc. These things are caused by our own habits. And as, as long as we have these bad habits and as long as people are walking around being fat slobs, you're going to have high premiums to account for it, especially if healthy people have to subsidize those fat slobs. Now, in regards to Medicare or single-payer, it's really just a fancy, fancy way of saying single-payer, that's the main reason it's not going to work. Because you can't have a healthcare system that extends to everybody if one American is paying for the other two Americans. It's just not going to work. Premiums have to skyrocket to account for that. Now another thing you have to look at is a lot of people like to point to Canada or Denmark or Sweden or Switzerland and all these other countries that have these socialized healthcare programs. The thing is, in those countries, everyone pays higher taxes, right? Not just the rich, like in the United States where the rich pay the majority of the taxes. If you go into these other countries, you are going to pay more taxes. Now, we can argue the merits of that, but it's not apples to apples, right? There are other factors to look at. So it's not like they just wave their hand through fiat and granted everyone health care. It has to come from somewhere. So enough of health care, but let's get into the next point. I'm going to bring up another video here. Uh, you have to c consider all the different factors. So one was that factor, and the other factor that was the one I mentioned. So, so when uh, Republicans and conservatives say, well, high taxes by definition will lead to slower growth, well, we know because of our experience in the 1950s and 60s that isn't true. Now, you can say there are other factors, but you can't say that the highest marginal tax rate being 70 or even 90% slows down growth because it didn't. And it wasn't in Japan and Switzerland. It was right here. So what, what Cenk is saying is, well, you can't say that higher taxes leads to slower growth because we've had higher taxes and we didn't have slower growth, so therefore that proves it wrong. There's an economic term called caterus paribus, and what that means is all else being equal. In other words, you can't just say higher taxes and we didn't have slower growth. It, it doesn't work that way because there are other factors. Now, all else being equal, higher taxes do lead to slower growth, but once you throw in other factors, it gets a little more hazy. You see, you could have higher taxes, which slows down the growth of the economy, and then you can destroy the entire industrialized world, which increases the growth of our economy. So at what point does it cancel it out? So we could argue that if we had lower taxes, it may have grown even more. 
This is one of the things that makes economics very difficult is because, sure, we can say that higher taxes mean slower growth, but by how much? You know, how much was it affected by other factors? So it's very difficult to try and pinpoint exactly what the cause and effects are. So now let me address that. You say, well, what's the difference between uh, your speech and their speech? Mine is actually speech and theirs is money. <laughs> so there's a giant difference. Now you spend money on so, your speech. First off, so they say, uh, no, no, Supreme Court uh, says no, money is speech now. No, money is property, it's not speech. And so if, if money was speech, well, then if you go to a hooker and you say, oh, no, uh, officer, I was just talking to her. Okay, <laughs> money is not speech. All right, another issue is Cenk is pointing out, he's, he's got a problem with, you know, money being speech, right? Money being considered speech. Um, the problem with this is, in a sense, money is speech. Now, I'm not saying that literally. What I mean is, if I want to go out and buy ad time for whatever topic I want, so if, you know, whether it be gun control, I have a right to do that. When the government steps in and says, Kenneth, you can't buy ad time because a candidate is running, they're violating my freedom of speech because I'm not allowed to express myself. So this is what makes campaign finance law very difficult because, okay, let's make it so you can't give money to, to politicians. All right, that's fine. I'm just going to go over here and I'm going to form my own ad. And that's where we get PACs and super PACs. Is we have these independent organizations that pop up and they collect money from everyday people in many cases and they go and they fund ads attacking candidates, which they have freedom of speech to do. And that's why we have a lot of these, these blocks set up saying, well, you can't talk to those candidates and you can't work with those candidates. So it is a very difficult thing to solve because, yeah, we want to get money out of politics. But how do you get money out of politics? Because the moment you start taking money out of politics, you're also taking away people's freedom of speech to express themselves. So it's not as simple as just saying, well, big money, big money. You know, that's something that a lot of liberals bring up. And that was the problem with Citizens United is, why shouldn't I be able to go and put my own money into, you know, a super PAC? I mean, a super PAC is just a collection of individuals that are putting their money together for a stated cause. A political cause, but a stated cause nonetheless. So if I have a problem with a politician that wants to, you know, force gun control on us. Why can't I, you know, buy ad time saying, this politician wants to force gun control on us? Shouldn't that be my right? So, I mean, conservatives, progressives, libertarians, everybody agrees, we don't want big money in politics, but how do you solve that? The answer is you really can't, because it's, it's, just, it's just the way things are. You can't solve that problem, unless you're going to take it to the next logical step and saying no money in politics, and we are going to infringe upon your freedom of speech. They go hand in hand. So it's a very difficult thing, and we all agree, but there's no real solution to it, which is why my position is just simplify it, right? You have all these donors that are giving billions of dollars to super PACs. Just cut the super PACs out of the equation. We know how it's working. They give their money to super PACs. They're still working with the politicians. They get what they want. Just cut all the bullshit red tape out of the, out of the way and let small parties and small candidates just collect their money. Because the real reality is that big money in politics might be a bad thing, but the worst thing for small candidates is when they have to hire a campaign finance lawyer so that they know what they can and can't do. And then when a small candidate wants to accept, you know, $100,000, they can't. So and then now they have to like spread it out between different super PACs and everything. It, it, it's complicated. I don't even know how campaign finance law works in detail because it's a complicated thing. You need a lawyer for that. And so, so no, there's no real solution. But in my opinion, the best case in this situation, if you look from a utilitarian perspective, is just cut the red tape 
It's happening. We can't fight it. So let's not put red tape in the way of small candidates because you know the Hillary Clintons, the Donald Trumps, the Barack Obamas, the George Bushes, they can afford lawyers. They, they can afford an entire legal team. But your small candidates can't. Your grassroots candidates can't. So it's not that simple. So see, this is the progressive pedestal that they, they, they like to argue from. Is I'm better than you. I'm morally right. See, I don't like rich people in our politics, and I, I don't like people dying, and you like people dying, and you like rich people in politics. But it's not that simple. You know, they love to argue from their pedestal. They love to argue from their high horse. But the reality is they don't have facts. They don't understand how campaign finance law works. They don't understand how healthcare works. They don't understand how any of it works. And that was clearly demonstrated when Ben Shapiro demolished Chang Uger. Demolished him. And Ben laid out all of his facts step by step, premise, premise, conclusion, very eloquently. And the only thing that, that Chang could do is just uh, 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 and insult the audience. That's the only thing he had, because the reality is, he didn't know what he was talking about. He had nothing but buzzwords. That was it. 